I'm Jane Messinio Lindquist, and this is a Puppy Culture Potluck Podcast. You bring the topics, we bring the conversation. Today I'm joined by my good friend and fellow dog breeder, Magda Shirella of Dig and Pop Norwich Terriers. Welcome, Magda. Hi, Jane. Thank you for coming. Well, thanks for having me. So if Magda's here, you know it's got to be a nutrition conversation, right? Because Magda is the person that is, I would say, obsessed with learning about nutrition. And whenever I have a question, I ask Magda. So before I read the question, I just want to position it a little bit in that the question is about the folate shake recipe that Magda has that... um, you can find this recipe if you go to Madcap University. I have a an article under free resources, say, and it's called Folate for Brood Bitches. And we have a link to the recipe there, okay? So we're not really going to talk about the recipe, but I'm just going to position it by saying the recipe is a way to supplement folate for pregnant bitches to prevent midline closure defects, basically some, some midline closure, closure defects, which is, that's another podcast. Okay. But this is specifically about that recipe and it it generated some really good conversation around the ingredients that I, I want to bring Magda here today to talk to you about. So here's the question. I found a recipe for dog slushy for pregnant females. Its ingredients are baby kale, baby spinach, coconut water, and flax seed meal. All ingredients, according to Google, are safe except for kale. Google says new studies show it can cause kidney and bladder stones. Any advice? I'd love to supplement this to my pregnant girls, but if the kale thing is a fact, I'll take it out of the list. Would love to know some input. Oh, yes, and this is a puppy culture recipe. Well, it's a, it's a Magda recipe that we, we put up on puppy culture, so. Well, I'll be happy to answer. Okay, yeah, let's talk about the kale. I would like to very briefly put it in context. Okay. That particular recipe um, is part of a rotation of recipes that I use in a specific time in gestation, when having an additional bioavailable folate, which is B6 uh, vitamin, uh, in natural form, is very beneficial for the pregnant dog. So it's not um, fed instead of a It's not a sustenance recipe. It's not a sustenance. It's in addition to. It's just like a little health pill. So it's an add-on. It's fed in rotation with other things. It's not every meal. It's not day in and out. It's not for prolonged period of time. So I have to answer this from that context. I do not know how bad kale can affect a dog fed in great quantities over a long period of time and whether that can contribute to uh, some you know, already genetically predisposed dogs to have stones. 
I just don't know that. I know that it uh, that link exists, and I know that the quantity that this particular recipe asks for absolutely are safe, and uh, you you cannot even if you tried to create uh, stones just with that quantity, you will not be able to. Um, so a healthy dog that is pregnant would benefit from it, and I. I'm not concerned about uh, that link of um, certain compounds possibly contributing to formation of stones in individuals that already have that predisposition. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a lot of things that if you gave the dog a bale of kale, I mean, probably, Mm -hmm. yeah, not so great. But it's not like raisins or chocolate that, yeah, the dog's going to get it's sick. Not of, no, like it's that not like that at all. And it is a superfood. It is an incredibly nutritious plant food. Um, I am here specifically using it for its folate content, but <clears throat> it's accompanied by so many other vitamins and so many other minerals. It's it's really this um, amazing it's superfood. It's a health punch. It, right. Mm-hmm. And baby kale is not the same as hard-stemmed kale. Oh, okay. Baby How? kale has um, more nutrition per um, weight. Um, and most of those oxalates and, and, and uh, components that you want to avoid, even with when dogs, it comes to stone, when it yeah. comes to stone, they tend to be um, in the stems, in these uh, wooded, you know, more wooded stems of... Um, which the baby kale, kale doesn't have. Right. Mm-hmm. So baby kale is, first of all, already not as much of a concern. And secondly, it's uh, in the amounts that, yeah, it's, it's negligible. Not as much. Yeah. And I think, I think you do mention that if you are going to give regular kale to strip the Take out the ribs. Take out the ribs. Right. right. Yeah. And even, I mean, probably it would be fine to leave the ribs, but let it's just an, an abundance of caution. And I will say that um, I specifically um, like to use substitutions and offer options. So I say baby kale or spinach. And I found that some of my pregnant dogs prefer one over the other. And then I listen to them. I always use both. I mix it up. That was the, that was the OG recipe, Magda, was both. So okay. I go with that. Yeah. <laughs> and they like it. So, okay. I think we cleared up the kidney and bladder stones. We cleared that up. So now let's go move on to the flaxseed meal because people had a lot to say about that. Um, somebody pointed out flax is also a phytoestrogen. I won't even use dog foods that include this as an ingredient with any of my adult dogs that will be bred eventually. I applaud you on being aware of the link between phytoestrogens and hormonal receptors within the body of a dog. It is important to avoid phytoestrogenic foods for our breeding animals. But when we say that, we mean specific type of phytoestrogens. We warn against isoflavonoids. Okay. Uh, these are basically legumes, chickpeas, peas, soy. And when you look at an ingredient list of some of the kibble products, 
you might see seven, eight mentions of different legumes. They are so broken down, so so um, they are not as apparent to us, but they might be uh, listed as pea next to pea meal. Um, it's really pretty big problem. However, when we're talking about flax meal or flax seed, we are talking about phytoestrogens that are termed lenians, and lenians are forming a different subcategory of phytoestrogens that actually have very different effect on the body. They do not affect the same receptors, and they also have been studied for beneficial effect on reproductive health, and beneficial effects specifically in dogs and cats. Oh, interesting. So, so flaxseed is good. So flaxseed is actually a good thing. Now, I, I just want to also back up because she, she mentions uh, that she wouldn't use dog foods that include phytoestrogens in any of her adult dogs that will be bred eventually. Is there a difference whether they're going to be? There is. Oh. There is a difference because such a huge population of dogs in the United States are spayed and neutered that manufacturers of dog food have understood and recognized that it is a good thing to deliver some supplemental estrogen. And there is estrogenic workings of uh, legumes that is positive on the dogs that don't have reproductive organs to produce the hormones. So I just, I want to back up here and make sure I have this straight. And I'm going to back chain. Number one, we know now that there are two different kinds, at least there's three, but two different kinds of phytoestrogens that we're dealing with. There's isoflavones and there's lenians. Lenians. Okay. The isoflavones are the things that are in like chickpeas and stuff like that. And, you know, legumes. And those are the ones that are going to interfere with the endocrine system of an animal that is intact and breeding and could interfere with reproductive capacity. But, and I'm just going to, like go on this for a minute because this is news to me. It never occurred to me that a dog that doesn't have their reproductive hormones would actually benefit from that. Like, yes. is there an outside limit to how much they should have? Or I don't think that has been studied well, but mm-hmm. there are papers and there is research that shows beneficial effect of soy and legume-based dog food on hormones in de-sexed animals. Wow, that's amazing. So if you're a dog food feeder, I mean, a kibble feeder, it really behooves you probably to be feeding your neutered animals and your unneutered animals different foods. Absolutely. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so I learned something today. Mm-hmm. Okay, before I move on to the next thing, I am just going to throw out here that we're not going to talk about uh, you know, the uh, grain-free taurine and the, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. dilated cardiomyopathy thing. Well, That's that a whole has different... to do with proteins. That has to do with acids. a completely so different, different thing. Right. Yes. So I know some people are going to be like, ah, you know, pea yeah. meal, it's a grain free. No, but you know, that's another podcast. So we're not going to talk about that. But to sum up, flaxseed, lenians, legumes, isoflavonoids. So very different. Very different. Okay. So we don't have to worry about the flaxseed. 
But wait, we're not done because somebody else has said flaxseed meal can lead to cyanide poisoning. The amounts are moderate. A tablespoon of higher cyanide flaxseed meal at once can cause negative effects in adult humans, and a third of a teaspoon is dangerous for toddlers. The effects of long-term, low-dose exposure hasn't been studied. If you are going to change an ingredient, I'd change the flaxseed meal personally. Cyanide is an issue, especially for humans. Okay. And it's a little bit counterintuitive and something that surprised me the first time that I was looking into it, but humans are 10 times more susceptible to uh, cyanide being at the toxicity threshold where the body reacts to it than dogs and actually a lot of other mammals. When they were studying it on rats and mice, they saw the same thing. A little mouse can deal with much more cyanide than a human. So first of all, yes, human toddlers have been studied for toxicity of uh, cyanide compounds, like uh, the ones within the flaxseed. However, another thing that we now know, and it's actually very new study that just came out last year, and that is that adult human body and also um, most mammals is able to detoxify cyanide components within its own body. So the toxicity threshold is much, much higher than we previously thought. Yeah, I mean, people have been eating flaxseed meal forever, and you'd think that we'd be dropping like flies or you'd hear about it. So, Well, there was some concern with the fact that we now started crushing the seeds and selling flax seeds as flax meal, which released all those wonderful, beneficial ingredients locked within the seed. But alongside this, there was a cyanide uh, as well. So the cyanide was all of a sudden in the news because it was something that people were noticing toxicity in babies. Okay, so to sum it up, number one, it's a limited amount of flaxseed meal. Given for a limited amount of time to an animal that has 10 times the capacity for handling whatever cyanide is in it. So, And the animal that's an adult, and now we know that it pretty much can detoxify it naturally okay. after di- digesting it. I mean, listen, it's not, you know, it's not to say if your dog got into a, a bag of flaxseed meal and ate the whole thing that it might not get sick or there might exactly. be the odd dog that no. has a problem, but, but, but it, I mean, it could be anything, right? a teaspoon in, in, in a shake that you, yeah. you know, I think for I my like, dog I think I put like a tablespoon and uh, it, it I, lasts I do like two weeks. A yeah, a teaspoon and, you know, for a couple of days, yes. Yeah, so mine, I, I feed even less. So there, there you go. Okay. Um, then somebody asked about flax oil for horses And I know you're not a horse expert, but you did say that they take the cyanide out of oil, flaxseed oil? Flaxseed oil does not have cyanide, Mm -hmm. just the process um, of extracting oil. Yes, it it has So why don't we just give flax oil instead of flax? We we could give flaxseed oil and, you know, it's something to absolutely add to, to dog's main meals and that's something 
um, I'm in favor of. It's just specifically for that recipe. There's was, more benefits to the meal. Well, I was using it as a as a uh, thickener and mm-hmm. and just a different. Um, I don't think that flaxseed oil um, is as palatable to dogs. You know, if it's not alongside meats. Interesting. There is a product mm-hmm. on the market that's meal that is already free of cyanide, but the process of getting cyanide out. It's a steaming process. Also kills enzymes and some of these um, vitamins are just, you know, Mm -hmm. affected by it as well. So then somebody else wrote, whole seeds aren't as much as a concern because being so small, they tend not to be crushed when eaten and the cyanide-causing component stays within the seed. That is very true. Except then you also don't get the benefits, right? (laughs) Well, so it's that you know, the other side, the other flip side of crushing seeds, you release all the good stuff and you are also releasing the tiny amount of cyanide. Gotcha. Uh, Here's the next one. Pesticides on produce like this is my concern. Get organic. That's my concern too. Yes, (laughs) get organic. All of our concern. Which is another reason to use the baby Right, the baby kale, the baby spinach, because I think it's always organic. They don't really spray the tiny ones, do they? I don't think so. I don't think they do at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right, we're moving on to spinach, Magda. Now, this person says, spinach limits the absorption of calcium. Well, that's an interesting question. Spinach is a very calcium-rich food. Spinach is often quoted as one of the most calcium-rich plant-derived foods. However, because oxalate is also contained within spinach, oxalate prevents absorption of calcium. So although you will see that sometimes in lab reports it is shown that calcium amount within the spinach is just tremendous, the actual available calcium within the spinach is diminished by the fact that oxalate blocks absorption. So it's true that there is a component of uh, spinach blocking calcium absorption from within spinach and small percentage uh, is, is of that calcium is available to us. It's still a positively calcium-rich food. So in other words, it doesn't block, like if you eat spinach and a piece of liver, it's not going to block the calcium or or an egg or whatever it has milk. It will still on, on the balance be a calcium plus thing to, to have. Interesting. Okay. Well, there you go. Okay. So I'm going to read this last comment, which is from a, a woman who's a doctor up in Canada who's always has something good to say. And this is no exception. The popularity of kale is pretty recent, and if these truly are new studies, it's possible that there is a low-level risk that has only become apparent as more dogs are exposed. It is also possible that the risk is not uniform across all breeds of dogs. It could be that the determining factor is whether the dog in question is already predisposed to stones, and kale increases that risk. If the article you found has references, 
it would be important to take a careful look at those and see what the risk actually is. Lots of things get said on Google that have a pretty weak foundation. So if it isn't a peer-reviewed scientific paper, my first step is always to try and dig out where the statement came from. When it comes to canine health, it's amazing how many confident assertions are completely unfounded. I agree with all of it. And especially, especially with looking at every dog as an individual and recognizing that breed differences are not only external, that breed differences are for sure internal as well. So you will have some breeds predisposed to stones while others might not be to the same degree. And definitely individuals. Right. And even again, you know, not we're not going to talk about the whole midline closure, defect, folate, supplementation, because again, we'll, we'll do that another time. But, you know, it, there's not a uniform risk overbreeds of, of this. There's not a uniform need for this food overbreeds. And, you know, some might need more than others. And I guess, you know, all I really wanted to do today was kind of separate the wheat from the chaff a bit with some of these things and, you know, just get to the bottom of a couple common questions that come up all the time on the boards. And I think... Uh, and I love the questions because they show scrutiny of those things that we put up there. I like hearing questions because they make me think sometimes, you know, did I make a mistake or not? And I do that too, because I'm always seeing in the corner of my eyes, every headline about nutrition. And I rush to dive deep into it immediately. And, you know, sometimes I change my mind or sometimes I discover there is something new. So that that is a very important thing for us to constantly reevaluate. Is it right what we are doing? Uh, how we are feeding our dogs? But I am confident about that recipe. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> to your point, I think that when you put out a recipe like this and then people ask these questions, it also makes you a better teacher because you're like, oh, you know, I have to explain that. It's that right. old thing. Give someone directions how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And, you know, how many ways could it go wrong? Yeah. So thank you very much, you guys, for those really great comments and questions. Yeah, they were. And thank you, Magda, for coming and helping us. Thanks, Jane. Always fun. If you like this podcast, you'll love our puppy course, available at madcapuniversity.com. Breeders, we have a course for you too at madcapuniversity.com. And if you're interested in sending home a copy of our puppy course with your puppy owners, we offer a nice breeder discount on four or more copies of the course. Well, that's it for this time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>